Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Relationship goals, and uh, I, I know you guys love when I do this. I'm going to take a quick poll here. Uh, how many married people do we have in the room? Raise your hand up. If you're married people, raise your hand up. First service, we had a guy I had to tell him to raise his hand to remind him he was married. So thanks, married people, for playing. All right, put your hands down. Uh, how about this? How about if you are single and hope someday that God will bring you your Mr. or Mrs. Right? Hand up, hand up, hand up. All right, all of you single people, take a look around the room, and if you make a connection with someone, you spell my name, A-A-R-O-N, that can be the name of your firstborn child. There you go. So uh, anyway, well, we're in this series called Relationship Goals because uh, this, is, this is oftentimes what we say when we see somebody who has what we want. In fact, Relationship Goals, hashtag Relationship Goals, is one that is used on Instagram over 14 million times. And when people post that underneath a picture, what they're saying is there's something in that picture that I want. It makes me feel a certain way. The problem with the majority of those pictures is that they are posed, they are fake scenarios, and they are shot probably a hundred different times at a hundred different angles until they find the right one that perks your interest. They are fake. So if you do that, that search on that hashtag, relationship goals, you'll find a whole bunch of pictures. You'll find some that you're just like, man, that, that is not a relationship goal for me. In fact, there's quite a few funny ones out there. I'll share a few with, with you now. Because not all relationships are good. Take a look at this one. This is, uh, raise your hand if you've ever been personally victimized by your own taste in men, right? That's, that's not a good relation. You don't have to raise your hand. That's okay. I was just, that's, that's just one of the pictures I found. Okay, how about another one? Uh, I am one bad relationship away from having 30 cats. Yeah, we kind of <laughs> understand that, right? How, how about one more? This is not a good one. When you're waiting for him to apologize, but he didn't know he did something wrong because you didn't tell him because he should know, right? That's just not a good situation, guys. I just want you to know. That's not a situation. He didn't even know. So, all right. Well, so, so not all of the pictures you'll find are good ones. Some of them, a lot of them are funny ones. But, um, but the truth is, is when you, when you talk about bad relationships, nobody really wants a bad relationship, do we? Nobody ever says, you know what I'd really like? I'd like to have a horrible relationship. I'd hope my, my marriage just goes right in the toilet. That's what I'd like. Nobody, nobody ever says that. And yet, a lot of people wind up in these places in the relationships, and they wind up there unintentionally. So because nobody ever says intentionally, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to buy a whole bunch of stuff, go really, really deep in debt, so much so that we can't make ends meet and that my husband and I fight all the time. That's what I'd really like to see happen, right? So that, so that we wind up miserable because we can't pay our bills. Or how about this? Nobody ever says, you know what I really need in my life? Like what's totally missing is a raging porn addiction, Hashtag relationship goals. No, nobody says that, right? Some, something that, that robs you of intimacy with your spouse and, and drives you to do things that you feel shameful over, creates a terrible cycle in your life. No, nobody says it. Nobody ever says, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to start out lying about small things. And I'd like to get really good at it so that I can start lying about medium things. And, and someday, my hope, my hope is to lie about everything so that I'm literally living a lie and hurting the people that I love the most. Hashtag relationship goals. 
Nobody, nobody says that. Nobody says, I hope to get married and get so busy with the kids or with my career or with my hobbies or with just, you know, taking care of the house or taking care of the stuff that eventually my spouse and I drift and someday we decide we don't know each other and we're just not a good fit anymore. Hashtag relationship goals. Nobody says those things and yet a lot of people wind up there. They wind up in those relationship situations and the people that I talk to would, would say clear across the board, I never meant to be here. The thing that they lack is intentionality. They've unintentionally wound up in spaces. But the thing that you need to know, and if you're taking notes, this is a great one to write down. If you're not taking notes, write this one down too. It's great relationships never happen unintentionally. They, they just don't happen unintentionally. You must attach some intentionality to your relationship. That's why this whole series exists, because we're giving you four goals that you can attach intentionality to that will shape your relationships different than anybody else. And you may look at some of them and say, Aaron, I don't know. Those aren't for me. Like, I would like what you're talking about, but I'm not sure about those things. Listen, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done, right? So it's time. Listen, some of you are like, well, I would like you to show it to me first. Prove it to me that what you're saying, what you're getting ready to hear is true. Listen, that's not how God works. God work, God's word is an invitation for you to taste and see that he's good. You gotta take a bite. You gotta go all in in order to see that his ways are better. So here's four goals that, uh, that I believe that we should have in our, specifically our marriage relationships. And they are, first, to be Christ-centered. We talked about this during the first week that what is at the center of your life, what you position there, that everything in your life is pointed towards matters. If, it's, if the, your career is in the center, then everything, your beliefs, your behaviors, and your outcomes will all surround your career. If it's your kids, the focus of your life will be on your kids. But when we place Christ at the center of our lives, it changes everything. His priorities become our priorities, and that's where we want to be. We want to be Christ-centered. We want to be mission-driven. Man, God has a purpose for your life, but I'm telling you, if somebody were to ask you, why are you getting married? The answer should be because we can do more for God together than we could alone. Because we are mission driven. And then we are devil kicking. This is what we're going to talk about today. And then we are covenant keeping. That'll be next week. We'll wrap up the series. So let's do this together. Let's all try it together. It is Christ centered, mission driven, devil kicking, covenant keeping. All right, let's try it all together, everybody out loud, now that we've tried it once together. Here we go. Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, covenant-keeping. Yeah, that's, that is the four goals that I promise you, if you have these four goals in your life, some intentionality attached to them, then the gates of hell will not stand against your marriage. So let's jump into it today. Devil-kicking. Today's focus is the fact that you have an enemy. A lot of us, that makes us a little uncomfortable to think about this devil running around who's got like issues with us and wants to hurt us. But you need to understand, he's real. He doesn't walk around like with a red outfit on and got horns and a pitchfork. That's not how he looks. Uh, I, I can do a whole other message on who he is and about him. But you need to know his priority is to find everything that God loves, which, by the way, that's you, and destroy it. And the way he does that is he finds everything that you love in your life and he wreaks havoc in it. He, he, he will destroy every part of your life because he hates you because God loves you. What God loves, he blesses. What 
the enemy hates, he curses. So Paul said this, because we're in the middle of this war, he said, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. You don't put on armor if you're not in the middle of a battle, and you are in the middle of a battle. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. So what do we know? We know whatever God loves, he blesses, and whatever Satan, Satan comes up against, he curses. God loves us, Satan hates us. So if you're struggling in your relationship, if you're frustrated and angry or hurt or afraid or losing trust, understand that what you're up against is not the flesh and blood that is harming you. It's a spiritual attack. It is something that is happening in the spiritual world that is causing that situation in the first place. It's not your spouse that is the problem. They may, they may wear the face of the problem, but understand, it, it is a spiritual attack. The enemy is planning an attack on your life. Now, some of you, you you're, you're, not, you're like, ah, I'm not real sure about this. What does this mean for me? Well, uh, let me put it this way to you. If you knew that there was an enemy who hated you, somebody who maybe had tried to harm you before, like in real life, tried to break in your house and maybe harm you, attack you, and they went to jail for a time, and then you find out that they escaped, or maybe they just got out on good behavior, but all of a sudden, weird things start happening that happened before. Come on, you guys have watched Criminal Minds before. <laughs> Creepy stuff starts happening, and you're just like, is this cycle back? It, is, it, did, and you find out they got out of jail, and it's possible that they're stalking you again. What would you do? You wouldn't go, well, we'll just see what happens. Think I'll sleep with my windows open and my doors unlocked. No. What are you going to do? You're going to be on guard. You're going to tell your family members? You're going to tell your neighbors, hey, there's a psychopath out trying to kill me. And, and, I, and I've seen evidence of it here. You're, what you're going to do is you're going to put bars on your windows. You're going to put extra locks on your doors. You're going to get a security system, some motion-sensitive lights. You're, you're, you're going to you're, you're get a dog that, that would be big and not want to play with them, want to bite them, you know. You might even equip yourself with a, with a weapon that shoots or stabs or you swing. I don't know where you stand on that kind of stuff, but you might want to. My, my point is, is you, <laughs> I got an amen on that one. <laughs> Nothing else. He amen the weapon stuff. All right. <laughs> That's good. That's all right. But you defend yourself is my point. You, you, you would not just let the enemy do whatever they want to. And here's the truth for you. There is a spiritual enemy that is planning to attack you. That's why Peter said, be on guard or be alert. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Within the context of this series, I'll give you a paraphrase. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for marriages to devour. He is looking to absolutely take you out. And here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever seen a lion, but when they, when they, when they prowl around, they get real quiet and they sit still. They wait. They crouch. They wait on the perfect moment, and they never announce, ready or not, here I come, and then pounce. They just go for it. They absolutely just go for it, and that's what the enemy is going to do. He will not give you a warning. He'll just attempt to destroy your life. And because he's the father of lies, there are two ways to know how he's going to attack. We may not know when, but we can know how he's going to attack. It's one of two ways, and it's the devil often attacks with distractions and seductions. Distractions and seductions. We see this in the very first part of the Bible. A distraction comes along and distracts Eve. 
Eve walked with God on a daily basis. And you'll notice the distraction that the enemy used was not a bad one. It was the fruit of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. However, he distracted her and said, well, you know, God knows if you eat this, you're just going to be like him. Well, she walked daily with God. Of course, who wouldn't want to be like God? But she was distracted, and she, she gave in to temptation. What about Solomon? Solomon is the richest and wisest king who ever walked the earth. And he knew that to, to fear God was important. He knew that he had no business marrying pagan women, but he gave in to, to his counselors. He gave in to his wise men who said, it would be good for our kingdom if you married this pagan bride. And so he married women from all different kinds of religions and wound up dishonoring God because he was trying to be a people pleaser. He was distracted. What about Judas? Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He saw all the miracles that Jesus performed. He walked with the guy. And what happened? The Bible says that Judas regularly stole from the money purse. He was distracted by money. In fact, he sold Jesus for 20 pieces of silver. He was distracted. There's a powerful verse in the uh, Old Testament in a book called the Song of Songs, or you might know the book is the Song of Solomon. Solomon's the one who wrote it. And in it, Solomon is pursuing his lover, the Shulamite woman. And this book was so racy that uh, Hebrew boys had to be a certain age before they could read it. Because in this particular verse, in Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 2, Solomon is complimenting his, his lover. And he's, and he's using very, um, well, let's say, compliments that are really racy. Here's some of them. It's, he, he said, your hair is like a flock of goats. Meow. Or is it? I'm not even sure. <laughs> he goes on to say, your neck is like the Tower of David. Like, I'm not even sure what any of that means. But you'll notice what happens as you read through that is Solomon kind of shifts his tone. Because here he is looking at his beloved, and he's celebrating her beauty. And he realizes that, that this is not something that's just going to stay intact on its own. He switches. His tone gets serious, and he says this. In verse 15, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. And what Solomon was talking about is that little foxes will get into a vineyard and they'll eat the blooms or the blossoms. And if the blossoms don't get to a certain place where they fall to the ground, then you're never ever going to see the fruit. You're never going to see grapes on the vine. And so the little foxes that would come in and eat the blossoms would literally destroy the harvest in the vineyard. It wasn't something big, it was little foxes. And Solomon understood, there are little things that can happen in our relationship that can lead us away from God's intended purpose for our marriage. It's little things that will destroy things. Little foxes that are unnoticed and unchecked will destroy the harvest. And the, Solomon knew the enemy would use little foxes, little things. Things that seem harmless, things that barely anybody would even notice to destroy your relationships. In fact, one of the small things that the enemy uses against us on a regular basis in our marriage is the trap of comparison. To get you to start comparing your spouse to someone else. How your spouse treats you versus how someone else's spouse treats them. Well, my spouse doesn't open the door for me. My spouse didn't buy me Valentine's Day candies and flowers. My, my spouse doesn't compliment me like that. My spouse doesn't do, the, do these things. Where There's no romance. There's no emotional connection with my spouse like they have, right? You start comparing, and you, it's a little thing. 
that takes you into a trap that will ultimately destroy your marriage? Or what about, what about little things, nitpicky things, meaningless things, things that are seemingly insignificant, that when you were dating, they didn't really matter? Because remember, when you're dating, it's opposites attract, right? But once you're married, it's opposites attack. You know what I'm saying? It's just like those little things. Or maybe it's a fight over money. You have no common plan. You have no goals set together that either of you will choose to honor, no agreement, and therefore no trust. It becomes a little fox. Or what about one? maybe one of you is controlling? Maybe one of you is critical and picks the other person apart at every turn. Maybe somebody's passive. Or maybe the other person is just really defensive about everything. Here's the thing. The devil knows whatever triggers you, what will trigger your anger, what will trigger your insecurities and your fears. He'll even say things to you like, you know, maybe you guys just aren't compatible. Maybe you guys just really don't belong together. Maybe it's just, this one's, this one's really great. I, like, I love when a married person tells me, maybe it's just not God's will for us to be together anymore. <laughs> Wrong. But those thoughts, those little thoughts that begin to roll around in your head turn into really big things. They'll destroy your marriage. They're distractions. They're little foxes. But the enemy will also use seductions along the way, sexual temptations. They say that 60% of divorces today, 60% of them, one of the reasons cited for the demise of the marriage was pornography usage. Isn't that incredible? Something so simple, something that, that gets brushed under the rug. Well, boys will be boys. No. That little fox, my friend, will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your intimacy it will destroy you. Maybe it's why Paul said this in Ephesians 5.3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. He says no opening, not a chance, not a whiff, not a sniff of it, not a hint of sexual immorality, no chance for impurity. The problem with this idea today is that we've lowered the standard on what not a hint means. We've, be, we've become so desensitized to impurity over time that we've just accepted more and more of it into our lives. And maybe it's because we didn't want to seem uncool or unpopular because, well, all the cool kids are talking about it. Everybody's talking about this show at work. Everybody's listening to this new album. Everybody's watching this new show on Netflix. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to seem uncool. I don't want to have to tell them. When they ask, why aren't you watching it? Don't you have time? Well, yeah, I have time, but I, I don't want it to hurt my heart. I don't, I don't want to have to answer those kind of questions. I'm scared. We've, we've lowered the bar. We, we've lowered the bar. So, so let's play a game. Where is there a hint of sexual sin? You ready? Here we go. <laughs> is there a hint? If you lie to your spouse and have hot, passionate sex with someone you met online, is there a hint of sexual immorality there? There is. What about if you binge watch porn on your phone? Is there a hint of sexual immorality there? Sure is. How about this one? How about if you say, well, it's not full-blown porn, but it's just the newest original content that Netflix is putting on. You know, the one that says TVMA on it. It's not showing everything. I mean, it's, I mean, it's all the sounds and stuff, but it's not everything. Well, what if you just dress provocatively? Or what if you post inappropriate pictures of yourself online or texting them to that boy or that girl or provocative videos of yourself on TikTok. It's how we get the likes, though. Is there a hint? Or what about inappropriate conversations that you have of 
with somebody of the opposite sex. Is that a hint? Listen to what God's saying. He says, not a hint of it. Keep the door shut. Have no tolerance for impurity. Do you know what tolerance, what, what it takes to have a tolerance for something? It's constant exposures to it. There's this great scene in the movie The Princess Bride where the, the dread pirate Roberts is, is chasing down Princess Buttercup and he has to, to, to fight different Inigo Montoya. He has to fight the giant and then he comes up against the Sicilian. You know, inconceivable, like that guy, right? And if you've seen the movie, there's, there's a battle of wits that happens. There's two drinks placed on the table and poison is to be placed in one and they mix them up and the Sicilian is so smart, it's inconceivable that he would be able to outsmart him and yet he drinks and he dies because he drank the poison. And in the end, it's revealed that the dread pirate Roberts, he put poison in both of the cups. Spoiler alert, sorry. And, and the reason he was able to survive, he says, is because I've been building up a tolerance to this poison for years. I've taken a little bit at a time so he was able to take a full dose that, that wouldn't kill him. We build up a tolerance to impurity. We've allowed hints at every turn. We've compromised over and over and over again. And the little foxes have become big foxes that feel little to us because we've built a tolerance to it. We've become desensitized. And what is the impurity? Well, the impurity in this case and in the movie was poison. It's sin. It is detrimental and it causes death within us. Not just a physical death where you die, but death to your relationships, death to your opportunities. It's not that God's trying to ruin your good time. Sin is fun for a season, but it always brings about death in your life. So, so what do we do? Well, we understand there's a line the Bible draws in the sand and says, this is where you're safe, and that's sin. And if, if I understood that there was real poison there, that there was a real harm to me, I'd stay as far away from the line as I could possibly get. And yet, a lot of us like to stand close to the line. We like to stand on the line, swing our leg over. I'm not touching, not touching, can't get in trouble. Solomon said this in Proverbs 4. He says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked. That's kind of extreme. Don't even put your foot there or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it. And go your way. So what does that mean we're going to do? Well, in the areas of seduction, we're going to make sure that we've got, we can, we can either close those gateways or guard those gateways. That means that we'll be extreme here. On your phone, you're going to limit access to what you've got. There's a great app called Covenant Eyes that will help, you, help keep you accountable for everything you're looking at on there. It even screenshots, like stuff on your phone and sends it to your accountability partner. My accountability partner is my wife. And she will cut me <laughs> if I look at stuff I'm not supposed to. Yes, she will. See, that's a little extreme. That's okay. Some can have free access. I can't. I don't want that. I don't want it in my life. I want that gateway closed and I want it guarded. Are you hearing me? Not a hint, right? Not a hint. What is, else does it mean? Well, it means we're not going to entertain that relationship. When that relationship comes along that is inappropriate and we know it, we're going to close the door to it. We're going to change our phone number. We're going to block their phone number. We're going to do whatever it takes to remove ourselves from that social circle so that we don't continue to feed that relationship. Shut it down. Well, what about ongoing conversations with the wrong people on social media? It's no big deal. 
if it's just chat, it is a big deal, and it will matter. Let your spouse find that. See how much it matters. Well, I'm not doing anything. It's just chatter. It's just pictures, and they're not even mine. It matters. It absolutely matters. Not a hint. How about, how about somebody's approached you while you're working out at the gym, and they're not your spouse? You know what? It's time to shift your routine. Maybe it's time to start working out early in the morning when they aren't there. And if they follow you there, maybe it's time to find another gym. If they follow you there, maybe it's time to start working out at home. That's extreme. Not a hint. Not a hint. How about this? How about a dangerous relationship at work? I've been there. I've had to go to a boss and say, listen, this is all not okay. And they sit right next to me. I've got to do something about this. Shut it down. Can you move my desk? If not, I'm going to have to change my job. That's extreme. Not a hint. How about, how about you, you can't stop looking up certain, certain hashtags on Instagram? Delete the app. Shut it down. Not a hint. Some can, you can't. I understand this is intense, but we have to distance ourselves from the little foxes that will ultimately destroy our relationship. You say, Aaron, why are you so hardcore about this? Here's the answer. I'll, ask, I'll, I'll answer you with a question. Why fight a temptation in the future if you have the power to eliminate it today? Do you know that the, that the answer no, that you have the temptation, is a commodity? In other words, you will run out of it. You will run out of your willpower and your ability to say no. This is so good. I'm just telling you, this is true for every area of your life. If you don't shut the doorway, you will run out of no's. You'll run out of no's. Why fight a temptation in the future that you can deal with today? Not a hint. The devil is coming for you guys, and he wants you to compromise in small ways. Now, I know there are two different responses to this kind of conversation, okay? I get it. And they're extreme. Both responses are extreme. The first response is, Aaron, I'm good. I don't need this kind of stuff. I don't know what you think is going on in my relationship, but my spouse and I are fine. Okay, fine. The other response that I get from messages like this is, I'm stuck, and I've been stuck for a while, and I don't know how to get out. I'm in, I'm in so deep, I, I don't know what to do. People are hurting. And so I think that's why Paul addresses both of you, those that think you're okay and those that are hurting. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, he says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, I'm good. I don't need that. Your arrogance may lead to your fall. You may not be as good as you think. I like to say this, especially to guys. We're five seconds away from stupid. Right? And all the ladies said, yeah, 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 you know that about us guys. Serious. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then he speaks to those that are, that are hurting, that feel stuck. No temptation has taken you except what is common to mankind. My favorite part's coming up. And God is faithful. See, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible and I get to verses like that, I want to go on a little praise break. I want to go on a play in a, in a space where I get to shout in a little bit. I can't help it. I was raised in a church where we shouted a lot. And I get to a place like this, and I go, and God is faithful. You mean when I'm not faithful, guess what he is? He's faithful. I like that his faithfulness does not depend on whether I'm faithful. I like when I'm struggling to be faithful, he's still faithful. God doesn't change. That's what I like about him. It's not dependent on me. He loves me. He's faithful. He's good all the time. I like it. That wasn't even in my notes. That was just free for you and encouragement. Here we go. 
So he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That means there's a means of escape. There's an exit strategy that you need to employ when it comes to temptation. And it needs to be to close the gateways or guard them. Means you've got some accountability or you have no access. Shut them down. Some of you need that today. Now, if you're sitting here and you're single today and you're like, hey, Aaron, this is really nice. Thanks so much for this message. It was really nice of you to beat up on all the married people today. <laughs> no, this message is for you too. It's absolutely for you. And it's the same drum I've been beating every week. That at some point in time, if you're single and you desire to be married, you're going to be faced with the same things we're talking about today. So don't look at your future and say, someday I'll be somebody who knows how to kick the devil's butt. Someday. How about you start today? How about you start dealing with the distractions and the seductions that are in your life today? Stop letting the devil rob you from God's best for you now. Because you've adopted an attitude, well, I'm going to do me right now. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and live for myself. I'm going to go, this, this is all about me. It's not about you. Go all in. Be Christ-centered. Be mission-driven now. Be devil-kicking now. You can do it. Be the person you're looking for is looking for today. You can do that today. Some of you are like, well... I, I've, I've forgotten my first love, and, I, and I've become distracted. Get on the path again. Repent. That's what's beautiful. God's faithful even when you're not. So just turn. Go, go walk the other way. And then the other thing, the seductions. Like, man, I get it. I get it that when you're lonely, it, you feel less lonely because you share intimacy with somebody. But I'm going to tell you what God's word says, and I know that it's not popular, that sex is intended for the marriage bed. That's what it's intended for. And so for us to continue to walk our own way and do our own thing, we are robbing ourselves of the best that we can experience. It is better. It is loving. It is trusting. And it is secure. Versus doing it before marriage where you're not sure how they feel about you. You're, there's not necessarily full trust. There's not necessarily full security. It is better. Some of us are like, well, I'm out here sowing my wild oats. And here's the thing. I, I got to know. I got to know if we're compatible. Like you don't buy a car until you drive it. You don't try on, to buy a pair of shoes until you wear them. Listen, compatibility test. Here, here, you're good. Okay, kids? You're good. Some of you are just shook. You don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Process it. Let it settle. We're all, <laughs> we're fine. I'm just, I just, that, that's the only test you need. And, and, and I just answered it for you, so don't, don't stress about the compatibility thing. God's going to bless it. I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now, and that's okay. All right, so <clears throat> it's okay. What you do today matters. It shapes your future. I've never met a single couple who I was counseling before they got married who said, you know what I really wish I'd done before I got married? I wish I'd had sex with more people to add to the baggage and the insecurity and the, and the, and the turmoil in our relationship because that would be really nice, hashtag relationship goals. No, nobody ever says that. Nobody. Nobody. What you do today matters. So what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you what I do. This is just me, and I forgot to give him a slide for this, so this is your one point here in how we respond. Imagine the devastation. When you are tempted, imagine the devastation. This is what I walk through personally, I'll imagine. Okay, so what happens if I give in to this? What happens if I'm distracted? What happens if I give in to the seductions? 
The first thing is that someday I have to answer to God for my behavior. I have to give an account for what I did. Second thing is, I would hurt a lot of you. There's some of you that may turn away from God because of my sin. Some of you that say, well, if he can't do it, I certainly can't do it. And you buy into a lie. Maybe use me as an excuse for why you're not going to walk with Jesus anymore. It's understandable. And then what about my family? What about my kids? I mean, they already know I'm not perfect. They know I'm not. But that kind of sin would devastate them. It would devastate our home. It would rip our family apart. Would they ever believe that I'm faithfully walking with God again? Would they ever trust me in that way again? Or, or what, what about my spouse? The woman who gives so much to me on a regular basis, who sacrifices so much for me, one who's loved me the way that she has. What about her? I, I'm well aware it would destroy her. It would destroy us. So I imagine the devastation. And when you begin to see what your sin will do, that fleeting moment of pleasure seems so small and doesn't seem worth it. So you imagine the devastation. Because here's the thing. The devil's going to attack you. He's going to attack your relationships. Maybe he is already. And one of the things I would love for you to do, every week I've given you some homework. This week your homework is to answer this question. It's actually to discuss it with your significant other, whether you're married or dating, or, or I've even got a way for you to ask it just of yourself. But here's the question. Answer honestly is where are we currently most vulnerable to spiritual attacks? Where are you most vulnerable currently to spiritual attacks? Like, what does that look like for you? And, and I, I would love for you to discuss that among yourselves. I would love maybe for you to share that with another married couple that you, you're like, man, I, I want some of what they've got, or maybe somebody that you just trust so that they can pray with you, maybe they can counsel you in a way. But where, where are you currently most vulnerable? If you're single, the question is, where am I? currently most, most vulnerable to spiritual attacks. Be honest. Talk to a team lead. Talk to one of our pastors here at this church. Open up about it, because here's the thing. You're only as strong as you are honest. And if you'll reveal an area where you're weak, God will step in and strengthen it. I believe that. So here's what we know. What God blesses, Satan curses. What God loves, he attacks. During the first week, I talked to you about being Christ-centered. And the homework I gave you that day was to grab hands and pray with one another. And if you were single, to begin praying for your spouse. But I'm going to approach that again, and I'm going to just suggest that on those days when you go to grab hands and pray, that on the days that you're, there is an attack, on the days that you're angry, on the days that there's a fight, on the days that you're struggling, that maybe you turn up the heat a little bit. Maybe, maybe the, the fire in your belly grows a little bit, kind of to a not-today-Satan kind of thing. You don't have to snap your fingers, but you understand what I'm saying. It's a little attitude, a little I'm going to stand firm. The series just before this, in the series called It Is Written, we talked about using God's word as a sword and as a weapon. That, that's why it's important that we read God's word so we understand. And so when you grab hands and when you pray, you can quote scripture, you can stand firm and tell the enemy, this is how we fight our battles. We say, not today, Satan, not in my house. There's no weapon that you can form that, that against me that will prosper. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, that we are more than conquerors through Christ that is in us. 
that we will overcome this by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. We can quote scripture to the enemy, and that's how we fight together. Remember, you are not fighting against your spouse. You're fighting against a spiritual enemy who absolutely hates you. So fight for you. Fight for your marriage. I think the sad news is today is that, that some of you in your marriage relationship are fighting alone. The other person is passive. The other person is disengaged. And I just have a couple of things I want to say for those of you that are walking in that situation. Keep fighting. Whether they're engaged or not, keep fighting. Your marriage is worth it. For you wives, I just want to be very specific to you. If that's your situation, take all the energy that you're using to criticize or using to gossip about your spouse or the resentment. You take all that energy and turn it into prayer. Turn it into encouragement. So that when you see them doing well, that you speak to that, that you encourage them like, man, I really am thankful that you did this. Man, I'm really glad. Build them up is what, we'd li- what I'd like you to do. Tell them, I believe in you. And even if you're having trouble believing in them, you can believe in the spirit of God that resides in them. So pray for them. Believe in them. For you men, I'm going to challenge you a little bit harsher. It's time for you to get up. It's time for you to lead. Listen, it is wired on the inside of you to lead your family. That doesn't mean that you're bossy. It means that you lead your home. You lead your home by example. You lead your home through encouragement. You lead your home. You grab your wife's hand and say, you know what? Come on, we're going to go to church. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be there every Sunday morning that those doors are open. Hey, come on. We're going to go get on a team. We're going to serve together. Hey, come on. I want to pray with you today. Hey, come on, let's go. Let's go to counseling. Oh, man, I just wish some of you would take that step. Your wives are waiting on you to do it. It's not a weak man that goes for counseling. It's one of the strongest that admits, I need help. I'm out of my, my, my zone here. I don't have this strength. Step up, men. Here's what I know about men. That if there, were, if there was a bad guy breaking into your house, you're not going to look at your spouse and go, hey, Shan, there's, there's somebody breaking in. I need you to go ahead and take care of that for me. I mean, my wife's pretty tough. But she'd probably do it. But I know that every man in this, situ- in this, in the, in this room, you're not going to ask your spouse to go do that for you. You're going to get up in your tidy whities and you're going to grab the nearest object and turn it into a weapon. And you're going to go fight for your family. You, you wouldn't even be willing to die for your family. But listen, we're not asking you to die for your family. We're asking you to live. For your family. Lead for your family. Love for your family. Lead. Protect them. Fight. And I understand across the board there are lots of exceptions to every household. You say, yeah, Aaron, all that's good, but yeah, but this is the situation. Yeah, I know. What I'm saying in general is that if you are Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping, the gates of hell cannot stand against your marriage absolutely cannot stand and here's what I know if there's hurts in your marriage you can heal if there are obstacles in your marriage you can overcome them why because God's grace is greater greater than what whatever you want to put in that equation it's greater than divorce it's greater than betrayal it's greater than adultery it's it's it's, it's greater than the lies that have been told it's greater than pornography it's greater. God's grace is greater. 
it's greater. It's greater than anything that has happened in the past. So let's make a commitment to be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. Let's pray. Father, today my prayer is that uh, you would help us root out the little foxes, the little things that, that are trying to destroy us, to destroy our marriage, to destroy our homes, to destroy our minds, to destroy our hope and our health and <laughs> the seductions and the distractions that are leading us away, Lord, we pray that, that as we identify these, as you identify them within us, Lord, that there would not be a hint of impurity. There would not be a hint of poison, that we would not tolerate anything less than not a hint. Lord, and I pray that for some of us, we've taken that journey down a road where we've accepted so much impurity, so much poison that our tolerance is high for it. Push the reset button in our hearts. Give us new hearts. Give us new eyes. Make us sensitive again with not a hint of impurity. That's what honors you. That's what keeps out the little foxes. May we aggressively plan to live this way. And then, Lord, there are so many marriages that are hurt. I pray that you heal them. There are so many obstacles that seem impossible to overcome. And I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself. You're the God of the impossible. You're the God who makes dead things come back to life again. So if there is someone here today whose heart is heavy because they feel their marriage is dead and done, God, you breathe life into that situation. Breathe hope into their hearts again. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. As we continue in this moment to pray, there are likely those in this room, in, in this room today that, you know, that all of this begins, this spiritual journey begins with Christ-centeredness with Jesus at the center. And you'd say, you know, Aaron, that's not me. That's, that's not me. I've been at the center. My job has been at the center. My, my, my own passions have been at the center. Jesus certainly hasn't been. And, um, and he can be. It begins with a prayer. It begins with a conversation where you invite him to take center. Jesus isn't looking for you to be perfect because none of us in this room are perfect. Maybe you've tried this before and failed and are feeling, feeling like, man, I don't know if I can do this. You know what? You can't do it alone. That's what we're here for. That's why God gives you his spirit to indwell inside of you. You can be transformed. You can be changed. Step by step. Little by little. And so here's, here's the, uh, the call today. If you're in this room and you're ready to make Jesus the center. As imperfectly and as, as, as much as you might stumble along the way. That's the way we're going to do it. And if you're ready to let Jesus be Lord of your life, which, by the way, will correct that relational situation between you and God, it will restore it. You'll be forgiven, have a brand new start, because that's what God does for us. If you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray the prayer in just a moment. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. Right now, I just want to say yes to Jesus. I want to invite him into the space and place in my heart and life. Okay, let's pray together. Everybody out loud, say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the center of it. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.